Hello there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our production and outreach director, Matt Walker. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Um, I'm going to be honest, the message that I have today might step on some toes, okay? And so to lighten things up a bit, um, I'm going to start with a joke, okay? Um, and I have, I've heard Kevin start with jokes before, and at the end he's always like, oh, that was terrible, and I think this one's a little bit better than his, so I, I feel like I have permission today to say this joke, okay? All right, so here we go. A Presbyterian dies and goes to heaven. And as he approaches those pearly gates, he sees St. Peter waiting there for him. Peter says, ah, Presbyterian, all right, checking that box. So you are going to go down the hall to the left, and you're going to be in room number 13. But when you walk past room number four, be very quiet. So the Presbyterian goes on his way to enjoy his eternal home. Then a Lutheran dies and goes to heaven. Same thing, walks up to St. Peter, and Peter says, oh, Lutheran, okay, Here we go. You're going to be in room 22. You're going to go down the hall and to the left. But when you walk past door number four, be very quiet. And the same thing happens over and over again. A Catholic dies and goes to heaven. Peter says, okay, Catholic, let's see. Go down the hall to the left, room number 25. But when you walk past door number four, be very quiet. Same thing happens over and over again until finally someone, unfortunately, from Elevate Christian Church passes away goes to heaven and sees St. Peter standing there at the gate. Peter says, ah, someone from Elevate. That's one of my favorites. Check the box. You're going to go down the hall to the left. You are in room number 10. Now, because people from Elevate love to ask questions, he says, Peter, why, when we walk past room number four, are you telling us to be so quiet? Peter says, he looks up from his little clipboard and says, because room number four, that's where the Baptists are. And they think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> so it's fun. I love that joke. And, and, but the great thing, the great thing about that joke is that you can replace the Baptist with any Christian denomination, right? Like that's kind of what I want to talk about today is unity in the church and how a lot of the times we are inclined to feel like the way that we do church is 100% the correct way and everybody else is, is lost, right? We, today, I want to talk about how we can be unified under Christ and how we can be a big church family. And so one thing that I want to start off with today is a history lesson, right? And believe it or not, what I'm about to do is in about two minutes, I'm going to cover 2,000 years of church history. So let's get started, okay? First, we have Elevate Christian Church. That's us. Elevate Christian Church has, is a part of a network of churches that have brother and sister churches in groups called the uh, Church of Christ, the Christian Churches, and the Disciples of Christ, right? Moving one step above that, that's called the Restorationist Movement. Now, the Restorationist Movement happened in about the 1800s. Um, some Baptists and some Methodists and a couple of Presbyterians sprinkled in there said, let's get together and try to restore the church to some of the original things that the disciples had in mind. And so that is the Restorationist Movement. But... And we ask, where do the Baptists and the Methodists come from? Well, the Baptists and the Methodists come from the Church of England, along with the Quakers and the Episcopal Church. Now, where does the Church of England come from? 
England. That's right. Wow, great to go. And the Church of England comes from England. And uh, at the same time, so the Church of England was started by King Henry VIII. And King Henry VIII was in England, and he wanted to be a practicing Christian. But the only way, the only legitimate way in England at the time to be a practicing Christian was in the Catholic Church. And King Henry wanted to do something that they don't allow in the Catholic Church. And that is, he wanted to divorce his wife. Because he wanted a male heir to the throne, and she was only giving him daughters. And so rather than work it out like a reasonable person, he said, I'm going to start my own church. And so he stepped away so he could divorce his wife, and that's where the Church of England comes from. Now, at the same time, uh, during the Reformation, you have the Lutherans. There was a man named Martin Luther. You might have heard of him. He had his own personal beefs with the Catholic Church. And so he stepped away and started his own branch of Christianity. And the same thing was sort of happening at the same time with the Presbyterians. And so you have all these different churches that are protesting the Catholic Church. They were called protest churches or protestant churches, or as we call them, Protestant churches. And that's us. That's where we come from, right? But what's one step above the Church of England? Well, you have the Catholic Church. Catholic Church, I'm sure you've heard of them. Uh, the Catholic Church was sort of this huge encompassing body of believers uh, for thousands of years. And at the same time the Catholic Church is happening, you also have the Orthodox Church, which is tied to some of the earliest practices of Christianity. And so you have all of this stuff happening. Okay, well, where does the Catholic Church come from? One step above that, we have the early church, right? And so the Catholic Church... Um, people would debate this, especially Catholics, but um, there is a Roman emperor named Constantine. And Constantine has kind of this miraculous conversion story where he becomes a Christian. Um, and overnight, just about, uh, Christianity in the Roman Empire goes from being the most persecuted religion to the state religion. And now uh, Constantine has a big influence over Christianity. And so that's why a lot of uh, Catholic art looks a lot like a bunch of Roman art, right? All the sculptures and the beautiful artwork. It's also why, by the way, when we draw little angels, why they look like little cupids. It's because of Constantine, not little babies with wings flying around. Like that's, that's Constantine, right? And so all the way back, we see this early church. The early church was a group, sort of a nebulous group of believers. We read about them in the book of Acts that either were, had firsthand or secondhand knowledge and connection to the ministry of Jesus. And they took part in something called the Great Commission that spread the gospel all across the world. And so through all of this map, this crazy map, and there's so many steps that we could fill in. In fact, this is only a part of the map. This is what the map actually looks like, right? That's actually the denominational map of Christianity. And people teach entire college semesters on this one subject, right? And what you're looking at here is not just a map of how Christianity, how our specific brand of Christianity came to be. What you're looking at is a family tree, right? This is a family tree. And I use this to underscore my first point, which is that this is a family tree because Christianity is a family, right? The church is a family. And so when we talk today, when we talk about unity and we talk about all the different ways that we're connected. I want you to keep this in mind because this is our first and foremost point, that the church is a family. Your church family is not just the people that you see at Elevate on Sunday, right? 
Your church, let me say that again. Your church family is not just the people you see at Elevate on Sunday. It is the entire body of believers everywhere in the world. Now, some of your church family feels more like siblings. Uh, their members feel like those like third and fourth cousins that you only see once a year that you don't really like to talk about that you're always getting in arguments with on Facebook. Like that's, that's, that is the reality of it. Some of those church family feels close. Some of it feels far away, but you're still family, right? Anybody ever had uh, an awkward like Thanksgiving dinner or an awkward Christmas dinner? Maybe you just went through one of these and uh, you're thinking like before everybody got there, you sat down and said, all right, we're not going to talk politics. We're not going to talk politics. We're not going to talk politics. And someone brings it up and you're like, just eat the turkey and shut up, <laughs> right? Like, that's the reality of a lot of these awkward conversations with the family. Or how about this? Have you ever seen um, the sitcom Everybody Loves Raymond? That was a great show. It was a sitcom in the 90s, um, and it's about an, uh, uh, an Italian family living in New York City, and every episode would climax pretty much in an argument, right? It would be about something. They would be arguing about something. You said this. You didn't do this. I can't believe you did this, whatever. Normally, the resolution to each episode would be they realized we are a family. And no matter what, no matter our differences, we're going to work together and we're going to choose to be unified. And normally, actually, it's ended with them sitting down and having dinner together, right? And so that is kind of a picture that I want you to keep in mind is that we are still a big church family. We might not always agree. Sometimes we bicker really good. But at the end of the day, we can still sit down together and reconcile in the name of unity. Now, did you know that shortly before Jesus was crucified, he was praying to God the Father, um, and he prayed for us, not just us in general, but you and me specifically. I want you to hear this verse. It's uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, and then we'll skip down to verse 23. John says this, or Jesus says this, my prayer is not for them alone, so when he says that, what he's saying is, not for them alone. Those are the people that were physically present. He's saying, my prayer is not for these people here alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And that's us, right? We are believers today because someone shared the gospel with us, and that person was a believer because someone shared the gospel with them. And this goes all the way back to these early believers, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in within you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is saying here, unity. I'm praying for unity in these believers. Jesus wasn't praying. He didn't say, I pray that they would have perfect doctrine 100% of the time. He's not saying, I pray that they would perfectly interpret Scripture all of the time and that they would never have questions about this and that they would just get it. Jesus wasn't praying, I pray that they would never have struggles with each, uh, that they would never have struggles in their lives and that they would never have to stand up for anything. Jesus wasn't praying any of that. What he chose to pray about was, I pray that these disciples and those who become disciples would be united, that they would choose unity. And it wasn't just Jesus that said that. Paul says this all throughout the New Testament. 
Well, let's hear this. Um, Paul says to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. He says later on to the same church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Let me ask you this. Do you want the God of love and peace to be with you? Choose unity. Paul says it right here. Then you will know, or the, the God of love and peace will be with you once you choose to be like-minded and united. Paul says to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, make my joy complete. What we could translate that into saying is Paul is saying, listen, do you know what I want above everything else? Do you know what I desire above all the other stuff that I've talked about so far? Make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, that would just make me so happy. Then Paul says to the church in Rome, Romans 14, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Jesus and Paul both prioritized unity. He said that we should make every effort to be united. We have to choose unity because I don't know about you guys. Sometimes my natural inclination is to not choose unity. Sometimes my natural gut feeling is that when someone disagrees with me, I don't want to be united to them. I want to keep them at arm's length. Does anybody feel, can, anybody, can we be honest? And, and Am I the only one that feels that way? Yeah. So uh, it, it's true, though. It's kind of our natural gut instinct to, to want to not be united with somebody. But Jesus and Paul here are both saying that if you want the God of love and peace to be with you, you will choose unity. You might be saying, Matt, there are just so many disagreements among the different churches. And it's true. There are a lot of disagreements. In fact, normally the reason why a new church pops up is because of a disagreement with their old church. Uh, and it's true. There are so many disagreements, but here's my second point today. Even though there are disagreements, we should not let our disagreements become divisions. We should not let our disagreements become divisions. You know, our culture right now it feels like more than ever our culture says that if you disagree with me, you hate me, right? If you don't line up with what I believe, you must hate me. And so to protect myself, I'm going to hate you first. Disagreements often lead to divisions outside the church, and it happens on the inside of church too. We think that because you don't agree with me and I don't agree with you, that we have to divide. That's the default, that we don't have an option other than that. We can't work together because we'll never see completely eye to eye. And that is the kind of thing that Jesus and Paul says they're breaking their heart over this. They keep saying to the church to be united, but unity is not going to happen accidentally. We have to choose it. 
We have to choose unity. And you know what? Here's the other thing. Uh, when we don't see eye to eye and when we do divide ourselves, stuff just doesn't get done, right? We'll talk about this in a minute, but could you imagine if the church decided that we were all going to be unified, all of the wonderful things we could do in the name of Jesus? But we're not. Right now, we are disunified a lot of the time. And if you need an example of how divisions keep people from getting stuff done, just look at Congress, okay? <laughs> Have you noticed Congress lately? All these divisions, nothing gets done. And that's, that's the same thing that happens in the church. You know, if we really thought about it, we'd probably see eye to eye on a whole bunch more than we think. But because of that little bit, we say, nope, divide, divide, divide. And that hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. Our bottom line should be the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. You know, that's a, that's a value that we can get behind. For a minute... I want to kind of talk about the difference between values and beliefs, right? Uh, values are kind of these core things that you root your beliefs in. So um, values tend to be firmly rooted and they stay the same, but your beliefs can grow and change. In fact, I hope your beliefs grow and change because if your beliefs aren't growing and changing, you're not learning anything. Right? The reason why you go to school is so that your beliefs about the world will change, that you, you, that you will grow in knowledge and understanding, and that beliefs will change. Sometimes they change a little bit, sometimes they change radically, but they're all kind of rooted in the same values, right? Everybody has different values. Um, uh, we can go through a list of them. Uh, first, I want to talk about a friend of mine. Um, her name's Stephanie, and she and her husband are just two fantastic people. I, I, I love, they have four kids, and I get to see um, little Instagram pictures of their kids growing up and stuff. And uh, I've known Stephanie for almost two decades, which is crazy. But, uh, and they're just a wonderful little family. Um, Stephanie grew up in the Pentecostal church. And if you know anything about the Pentecostal church, you know that they're very charismatic. Um, you know, any given Sunday, they'll be raising hands and running up and down the aisles. And, and it, it looks a lot different than a service here, let's say. <laughs> um, she was, grew up in the Pentecostal church. Um, and I recently reconnected with them recently, uh, and uh, I learned that over the years, um, they've kind of disconnected from the Pentecostal church, but now they have begun the process in becoming members of the Catholic church. And I cannot think of two more different <laughs> denominations than the Pentecostal church and the Catholic church, like night and day. But you know what? Their value has stayed firmly rooted in Jesus this whole time. And they, they believe some different things now. But boy, that value in Jesus has just grown. And as they've grown and understood, they feel like that is where God was directing them. And so who am I to say like, mm, no, I don't think so. I think maybe I'm right and God's wrong on this. Right? No, they have stayed firmly rooted in that firm foundation of Jesus. And of course, their beliefs are going to look different now. And you know what? That's okay. Right? I don't agree with 100% of the Catholic Church. I don't agree with 100% of the Pentecostal Church. Sometimes I don't even agree with 100% of this church. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that we are rooted in that same value, that is Jesus. And you know what? Uh, the values can look like different things. And as your beliefs change, values will look different. So I want to go through a few of them um, that I've heard before. And I was like, ooh, I want to stick with that. I want that to be a value of mine. Uh, one of them I heard was from... Uh, Andy Stanley, uh, North Point Ministries out of Atlanta. Um, 
he says this, and their church has like gripped onto this as a as a motto, kind of. Uh, choose the e the choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Boy, that's good, isn't it? I'm not a dad, but if I had kids, I'd be saying that every single day. <laughs> choose the hard right over the easy wrong. What about this one? This is from a clinical psychologist that teaches in the University of Ontario. Uh, his name's Dr. Peterson. He says this: Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. Right? What if every day we decided the words that came out of our mouth? We said, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Boy, that would be amazing if we decided to do that every day. Um, one that my mom taught me and my sisters growing up, um, that so true, and I see it every day. Attitude is the key to everything. You can turn a bad day around with the right attitude. You can turn a tragedy into something to rejoice about because of your attitude. Attitude is the key. What about this one? This comes from a wise old man. He uh, used to live in New York City. He's passed away now, but he said this to his nephew. With great power comes great responsibility. Does anybody know what that's from? <laughs> Spider-Man? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Spider-Man. Uncle Ben said that. With great power comes great responsibility. But those are all values that we can root our beliefs in. Beliefs are going to grow and change based on context, based on time in our life. But those are the values that we're rooted in. Do you know what the value, the one core value that all of these different Christian churches and denominations have all across the world? The one value that they have? It's this. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And everything else is everything else. Everything else is everything else, but at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. Our beliefs about what that means are different, right? Our beliefs about how that looks in the real world might be different, but at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. And you can look at somebody that says that and be like, that's a brother and sister. They might not feel like a brother or sister. Maybe they feel like one of those fifth or sixth cousins I was talking about, but they're still family because the church is a family. And you know what? Choosing unity says that Jesus as Lord is enough for me. Choosing unity says that that is enough. Part of choosing unity is whenever we encounter somebody that doesn't agree with us 100%, that we resist the urge to call them a heretic, right? I know I have a natural inclination where I'm like, I've studied this stuff, all right? I'm on staff at a church. I'm a professional Christian, and I think I have it figured out, okay? <laughs> um, and it's true. My, my inkling is to say, is to go directly to heresy. You're like, of course, you haven't thought about this. You're wrong. Let me tell you what's right about this, you know? And that's our natural thing is to call someone a heretic, and it's kind of, it's a tragedy, right? I mean, like, it's, we're laughing, but it's true. Our natural gut instinct is to be like, you are so wrong because you don't agree with me that you are outside of the church family. And that, could you imagine how much that breaks the heart of Jesus to hear us do that? The other side of that is maybe we don't call them a heretic, but we sure are ready to think of them as crazy. Okay, like you see videos of church services on the internet, and if it's not exactly like Elevate, sometimes you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. That's really quiet, or that's really loud, or ooh, they play those songs, or oh, they don't play these songs, or oh, they read out of that translation. It's like we think they're crazy, right? Even if we align almost 100%, we still feel that 1% is enough for us to call someone crazy. 
or a heretic. Now, speaking of heretic, I want to show you a video clip from a TV show that probably has never been shown in church before. Uh, the show is the animated sitcom Family Guy. So if you know anything about Family Guy, you, you hear the reaction people are having. And so I just want you to look at this clip real quick, and it goes exactly with what we're talking about. Okay? So let's roll it. I'm a Methodist. We believe that the Lord is our Savior, and we remember Him by going to church and praising Him every Sunday. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. We believe all the same things that you believe, but we go to church on Saturdays. What? <laughs> is that not how we act, though? Is that not how our, our, we feel inside? Someone's like, oh, yeah, we're pretty much on the same exact page except this little bit. It's like, no, <laughs> I can't even believe that. Like, that is our natural instinct. And listen, I'm right there with you. Like, I do that all the time. And it is true. Going back to that verse in Romans, let's look at that again. I don't think it's going to be on the screen again, but I'll read it again. Um, this is Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Every effort every effort to be united. That means that we have to choose unity. Um, there's a passage I want to read for you right now. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples when he says this, and it's really easy to get the context of this wrong. Uh, and so we're going to read it, and then I'm going to walk back through it a little bit to make sure that we're on the same page here. This is um, John chapter 13, and it's verses 34 and 35. Jesus says this to his disciples. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. You know, it's interesting. Um, the verse begins, Jesus says, a new command I give you. Let's see, it's funny. We read that verse and we think, oh, Jesus is telling us to love everybody, right? Got that. That's easy. Um, He's already done that earlier in the Gospels, right? Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, and the implication is, who's my neighbor? Well, everybody, right? You're to love everybody. Jesus has already gone over that. But here he says that a new command I give you, love one another. You see, he's speaking to the disciples here, and what he's saying is you need to love one another because Jesus knew that his disciples would not always see eye to eye. So when he says love one another, he's not talking about everybody. He's already talked about that. Right now in that passage, he's saying you need to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you need to love one another because that is how people are going to know that you're my followers is by how much you love one another. And he says this because Jesus knew that his disciples, like I said, would not always see eye to eye. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you can see that sometimes Peter and Paul were butting heads a little bit. Sometimes uh, in some of his letters, Paul would be like, and you wouldn't believe what Peter did at this point, and I had to, I had to correct Peter. Like, and you can read that, and that's, that is in the Bible now. And you can imagine that if Peter were also writing at the same time as Paul, he'd be like, you wouldn't believe what Paul did to me. Like, it was crazy, and we're all on the same team, but he was nuts that day. Like, it happens. Uh, or what about this? Um, some scholars believe that John and Peter also didn't see eye to eye about everything. In fact, you know, Paul refers to himself in the gospel that he wrote. Um, he refers to himself 
as the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, could you imagine the audacity of someone saying about themselves, oh, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. It would be like someone asking me, hey, Matt, are you preaching at Elevate on Sunday? And me saying, yes, the disciple who Jesus loves is preaching on Sunday. And I'm like, okay, calm down. <laughs> um, but it's true. That's how John refers to himself. And so when John is recording his gospel, not only does he call himself that, but when he writes about the, the episode where uh, Jesus walks on water, he just conveniently forgets to mention that Peter also did. He just says, oh, Jesus walked on water, and then some other stuff happened, and it's like, whatever, next chapter. It's like, that was kind of a big part that Peter was there, right? Or what about this? When John writes about the resurrection, he says that the women came back from the tomb, and they told the disciples, and me and Peter ran to the tomb, but I beat Peter there. I did because he was a slow and a loser, and I beat him. And it's like, does that have any theological significance? No. John just wanted everybody to know that he beat Peter to the tomb, right? Like, this sort of stuff is happening. And you know what? It still happens between us, right? And it's like, it's not a surprise. This stuff has been happening from the beginning. But you know what? People will know that we're followers of Jesus by our love for one another. Maybe you're here today um, or you're watching online and you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. Um, maybe you're here or watching and you want to try this Jesus thing out. And we're so glad that you're here or that you're watching. Um, and if I may speak on your behalf for a moment, uh, many people that have made the decision to not pursue Christianity, they usually make that decision not because of anything Jesus did or said. They usually do it because they see how the church behaves. They usually reject Christianity because of the Christians. And it is because of our lack of love and unity for one another most of the time. They usually don't have the problem with Jesus. It's us. And so, in closing, um, I want to talk about this. That when we choose unity, like I mentioned, that means that we're choosing love. And when we choose love, we humble ourselves. And humbling ourselves is hard because it's a deliberate act that says, I am not the center of the universe. And boy, do we like to be the center of the universe. Humbling ourselves says, I don't have it all figured out. And I don't expect you to have it all figured out either. Boy, that'll preach, won't it? I don't have it all figured out, and I am not holding you to that standard either. Neither of us have it all figured out, and that is okay. You see, because when we judge other believers on how perfect and accurate their theology is, what we're actually saying is that my theology is perfect and accurate 100% of the time. And if you ever learn anything, you learn that the me that was the day before is, was not perfect. And you know what? That's always going to happen. Your theology is not perfect. My theology is not perfect. And so when you judge someone else based on that, what you're saying is I'm perfect and you're not, and you need to get on my level. Boy, is that not the worst could you, like, going day to day thinking that you've got it all figured out, I could never wake up. When I wake up in the morning, I'm surprised that I remembered where the floor was to get out of bed, right? Like, and I'm sincere about that, where it's like, I don't have it figured out. And the more that I learn, the more I realize I don't know. And that's every single day. And so when you judge somebody based on how accurate or, or perfect your theology is, you, you've brought them to a standard that you yourself can't meet, Right? Did you know that Jesus says you get to choose the standard by which you're judged someday? 
It's true. Listen to this. This is uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You see, you get to set that standard. If the standard was that your theology has to be 100% perfect and accurate, what you're saying is, I hope Jesus judges me on how perfect and accurate I am someday. I don't want that. I can't handle that. That is too much of a weight to put on my shoulders. If I get to heaven someday and God hands me a like SAT prep book or a pop quiz and it's like, all right, you got to get 75% to get in here. I, I'm sorry, it would not work out for me. And it wouldn't work out for any of us. You know what? But if I say, I want the standard by which I'm judged to be, did I love Jesus? That is the standard that we should judge other believers. Do they love Jesus? Or going back to that value statement, do they proclaim Jesus as Lord? And everything else is everything else. You get to set that standard. What would it be like? Just for a minute. Think, think with me for a minute. What would it be like if we chose unity every day with other believers in this world? What would it be like if we decided to humble ourselves and in love say, we don't always see eye to eye, but we're going to choose unity today? Do you know what would get done in this world? Do you know that there are 2.5 billion people that would call themselves Christians? If we all got on the same page about this Jesus is Lord thing, do you know what we would be able to accomplish? Do you know the poverty we would end? Do you know the people that would hear the gospel for the first time? Do you know that the landscape of eternity would be changed forever if we all just decided to be unified? It would be a game changer. It would be the most important thing in the history of the church if we all decided we were going to be unified. That doesn't mean fixing all the differences. It means in spite of the differences, saying we are going to choose unity. And here's the secret, right? Someday, the church will be unified. Someday, when heaven meets earth and all things are made new, you are going to sit down at the table across from other believers that you disagreed with. You are going to sit down at that table across from other believers that you thought might not even be up there someday. You are going to sit down at that. You know what? The book of Revelation even calls this event the wedding feast of the Lamb. You're going to sit down for a meal together like the end of an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond and say we are family and we are united here at the table with Christ. You are going to get to do that someday. And you hadn't agreed on everything in life. You hadn't lined up 100%. Maybe you only lined up on a couple of things. But if that thing was Jesus as Lord, they are in the family and you are in the family. And someday you're going to get to sit down and reconcile as a family. And I'm looking forward to that. I am looking so forward to that. Because not only will I understand the things that I never could in this life, but I get to see the grace and the mercy that is from Jesus across all these different people that believe different things. If Jesus is your Lord, and that is what you confess and believe in your heart, then you are in the family. And that's all there is to it. You see, this is... This is the point I'm trying to make, okay? And if you walk out of here with nothing else but this, this is all I want you to hear. You ready? It's not the agreements and it's not the beliefs that make a family. It's blood. Whose blood binds the family 
of the church together. It's Jesus. It is the blood of Jesus that binds this crazy, sometimes dysfunctional, eclectic body family of believers together as one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus. Unity, choosing unity and choosing love says, that's enough. That's enough for me. And everything else is everything else. You know, some beliefs I hold really dearly. Some beliefs I am really rooted in, and I know that there are other believers out there that don't believe the same thing as me, and it's fine because Jesus is Lord, and that is enough for me. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you, and thanks again.